So this fall, we are preaching through the lives of Isaac and Jacob, covering Genesis 25 through 36. And one reason we're doing that is because God says repeatedly in the scriptures that he is the God of Isaac and he is the God of Jacob, which means that when we study Isaac and we study Jacob, we're going to be learning more about God and about how God wants us to relate to him. And what we're going to see this morning is that what God promises us, he he gives us a promise which is so glorious, so powerful, so heart-satisfying that we can be freed from all fears when we trust his promise. He gives us a promise so powerful that when we trust it, fear leaves and we can be freed from all fear. That's what we're going to learn from Genesis 26 this morning. But before we go there, let me give you an overview of the whole book just so that we have the big picture in mind. Genesis 1 and 2, God creates out of nothing. He creates this massive universe and this beautiful world that we're living in and Adam and Eve. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then in Genesis 3, tragically, Adam and Eve do what we've all done. And that is they are tempted by the serpent, Satan, and decide that they want to live their way instead of God's way. And because of that, sin covers the earth, fills the earth. God's curse is over the earth, the whole earth and all the people in it, because we've all done the same thing. We are under God's curse, facing God's judgment. But also in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 3.15, if you haven't read it, read Genesis chapter 3.15, three promises that God gives to us. First, he promises that he will put enmity, a division, a separation between the serpent and between Eve, which means God, because of what Jesus was going to do thousands of years in the future, God will bring his power upon Eve in great mercy and change her heart and set her free from sin. And that's a description of what God also does for Adam and for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, trusts God and trusts his Messiah. So God's going to save people Sin's covering the earth, but God is going to save people, change people's hearts, give them repentance, give them faith, forgive them, pour his presence out upon them. He's going to do that. We've experienced that, right? Praise God for salvation. That's the first promise, Genesis 3.15. Second promise, God's going to form a group of people. He calls them the offspring of Eve, people whose hearts he has changed, people who are trusting God, trusting his Messiah, Jesus. So there will be those whose hearts God has changed, And then there will be the offspring of the serpent, people who are continuing in their rebellion against God. So God's going to form up a group of saved people. Third promise, God's going to do this through an offspring of Eve, through a human being who will crush the serpent's head. Crush the serpent's head. And the rest of the Bible explains who that is. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord our Savior, our our friend, our treasure, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to pay for the sin, to be punished for the sin of everyone who would trust him. And by dying on the cross, then he broke Satan's power so we could be saved, we could be delivered, we could be reconciled into the joy of knowing God, and we can advance the gospel. Three promises, Genesis chapter 3. Then, chapter 4 through 11 We see sin spreading, 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 strengthening, intensifying, until by the time you get to the end of chapter 11, it looks like God's promise of salvation is hopeless. It's never going to happen. 
sins covered the earth from all that we can see. But remember in chapter 12 what God does? He raises up Abraham. He calls Abraham. Abraham trusts God, trusts God, the promise of the Messiah. Abraham's forgiven. His heart is transformed. And God makes Abraham amazing promises. And the most important one is that God promises Abraham, through your offspring, Abraham, I'm going to bring my blessing to people from every family in the earth, people from every ethnic group of the earth. And of course, who is this offspring of Abraham through whom God's blessing of salvation comes to people from every ethnic group? It's Jesus Christ. So remember, Jesus is prophesied back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He's prophesied in Genesis 12, verse 3. And, and the rest of the book of Genesis, including the life of Abraham, the life of Isaac, and the life of Jacob, shows God repeating that promise and securing that promise, protecting that promise from various obstacles that come up. So that's what's happening in, in the rest of the book of Genesis. And of course, the big question for Old Testament readers was, who's this serpent crusher going to be? Who's going to crush the head of the serpent? Who's that going to be? And God starts giving partial answers. He says, he gives Abraham and Sarah a son, Isaac. And he says, the serpent crusher will be born through Isaac's offspring. And then he gives Isaac and Rebekah a son, Jacob. And he says, through Jacob, the serpent crusher will be born. And so that's how the book of Genesis develops. Now, today, Genesis chapter 26 we see an obstacle raised up, which has the potential of destroying God's promise of salvation. What's, what's the obstacle? What obstacle threatens God's promise? Look at Genesis 26, verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. So here's a famine. Now, most of us, I would guess, have not experienced famine. Some of you may have. But just imagine, I mean, we're used to living in a place where you go down to Lulu's and you can buy, you know, whatever you want to buy to eat. Lots of food available. Your cupboard has food in it, I trust. Uh, if it doesn't, let us know. We'll help. But, but most of us have food, easy access. But imagine living in a place where there were no Lulu's, no car fours, and you only ate what you grew. You only ate the food that you actually planted and reaped, which means that your food supply depends on water, rain. And imagine that you'd been living in a place where there'd been no rain for a year. That would mean no food. And that's what a famine is, and that's what they're experiencing here in Genesis 26. No food, which obviously means God's promise of an offspring to Isaac through Jacob is threatened because if they die, if Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob die, then there's no offspring that's going to bring salvation to us. No serpent crusher, no cross, no salvation. So here's another obstacle. And we've seen in previous chapters, God's like a relentless steamroller crushing every obstacle that might be thrown up against his promises of salvation. And he's going to overcome this obstacle as well. So how does he do that? What does God say to Isaac? Look at verses 2 through 6. Now in the past, when Abraham faced a famine, God led him to Egypt. That's not what God does this time. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to, I'm sorry, and the Lord appeared to him and said, appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. 
dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Now notice, God tells Isaac, don't go to Egypt. Settle in the land I'm going to show you, which ends up being Gerar. And that's located here on the map. Let's see. See that where the word Negev is down at the bottom? Up to the left, there's Gerar. They'd been living down at the bottom in Bir Lahai Roy, so traveled up to Gerar. Other direction from Egypt, that's where they settled in Gerar. And Gerar is not experiencing a famine. Gerar is having rainfall. So their need for food is supplied. God overcomes the obstacle of the famine. Isaac and his family are taken care of. The promise of salvation continues. That's not all. Notice the promises that God speaks to Isaac, starting in verse 3. God says, I will be with you. It's an amazing promise. What God's saying is, I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. I will never forget you. I will be with you. And how can God promise that to a sinful man like Isaac? It's because of what the Messiah would do thousands of years in the future. I mentioned this last week, but remember, Jesus' death on the cross pays for the sins of all who trust him after his death. That's us but it also pays for the sins of all those who will trust God and the promise of his Messiah in the Old Testament. And that's why God could promise to Isaac, I will be with you. My presence and my promises will always be for you. Second promise, I will bless you. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of God blessing people? Too many of us immediately think that that must mean physical health or financial wealth. And God can bless in that way. It can mean that. But it doesn't always mean that. It's so important that we understand this. It doesn't always mean that. Sometimes God, God's blessing means not having physical health or not having physical wealth. I mean, think about Paul, Paul's thorn in the flesh. God blessed him by allowing his thorn in the flesh to continue, right? That was a blessing. Okay, church, right? Yes. I know this is sobering, but we've got to be real here with what the Bible teaches. We can't play games. Suffering is hard. Some of you are going through great suffering right now, and we long here at Grace Church to give you ballast to give you a a rock-solid foundation for your faith for when suffering comes so you know God has not left you. God has not stopped blessing you. So important that we understand this. God promises that whatever happens, we will have God himself 
right there, satisfying our hearts, giving us everything we need, giving us even more joy through the hard times. That's what it means that God promises to bless. Then God promises, I will give all these lands to you and to your offspring. That means that the people of Israel are going to inherit the promised land. And of course, that happens years later through Joshua. Read the book of Joshua. That's when when God's people move into the promised land. God says, I will multiply your offspring. That's a reference to the nation of Israel. Massive outpouring of, of population for Israel. And then look at this last promise. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the same promise as God gave in Genesis 12, verse 3. Remember, through Genesis, God is repeating his promise and he's securing his promise. Here it's repeated. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So through one of Isaac's offspring, Isaac's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson is going to be the one through whom salvation will come to people from every ethnic group, every nation, tongue, and tribe. And we know that's Jesus. Now, I was just praying over, there's lots of implications of this, and I, I don't want to preach a whole sermon on this, but let me, let me just mention one, maybe two. One is, this shows that God loves every racial group. Do you see that? He has promised that he will save people from every family on the earth, which means every ethnic group, every language group, every cultural group. God loves every race, which means God hates racism. Do we understand that? And I just want to encourage you, we live in Abu Dhabi, and most of Abu Dhabi very separated racially and culturally. But the body of Christ is Jew and Gentile. It's every race together. Standing around the throne in Revelation, men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe, glorifying Christ together. And we live in a place where as we love each other between races here, we are going to be displaying something surprising to people who aren't used to this. Because when people who don't know the Lord walk in and watch us loving each other, different skin colors, different language backgrounds, different nationality backgrounds, they will see something unusual. And so I want to encourage you, it's so easy just to connect with people from our own countries, right? We all talk the same dialect of English so we can understand easier, we can talk about what it's like back in, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But let's lean in to connecting with people and to befriending people from other countries, other races, other nationalities. It will glorify Christ. That's part of our vision here at Grace Church. Every nation, tongue, and tribe joining together, friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ, exalting Jesus. Okay. The other thing I was going to mention about that is the reason we're here in Abu Dhabi is because there's people here who've never heard the gospel. There's people groups that have never heard the gospel who don't have a church in their culture. Let's pray. Let's share. Let's work. Then look at the promise. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God gives Isaac astonishing promises, and how does Isaac respond? Now Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and it's amazing what event Moses puts right after these incredible promises. It's sobering. Remember, Rebecca was Isaac's wife. Okay? Rebecca was not Isaac's sister. Rebecca was Isaac's wife. But look at what Isaac says in verse 7. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, 
tell me about your wife. How about your wife? Tell us about your wife. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, "Uh, she's my sister. She's my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. See the problem? Isaac knows Rebecca's beautiful, and that one of the men in Gerar could very easily kill him so that he could marry Rebecca. So what does Isaac do? Uh, guys, this is, this is not a good thing. <laughs> this is not a pretty picture here. Isaac, this is very bad what he does. I mean, just imagine that Isaac's forgiven now. We know that, but, but Isaac says, this is my sister, giving no care for what this man might do then in light of the fact that he thinks this is his sister. He's thinking only of himself here, and he lies, and God says, don't lie right? God says, tell the truth. And Isaac just straight up, with no excuse, lies. This is my sister. And verse 7 shows why he lied. See if you notice what I noticed here. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, for he feared. Underline that word, feared. He feared to say, my wife. He was afraid to tell the truth. God called him to tell the truth. He was afraid to do what God called him to do. He was afraid to tell the truth, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. Attractive in appearance. So Isaac lied because he feared these men. Now, at least 33 times in the Bible, God commands us, fear not. Fear not. Thou shalt not be afraid, is what God says. He commands us not to fear. And yet, we all struggle with fear, don't we? I would guess some of you are fearing something right now, something coming up this week, something that could happen in the next few years. All of us this last week, I'm sure, have feared. I have feared this past week. We all struggle with fear. We, we fear maybe losing our jobs. We fear not having you know, dinner work out the way we were hoping it would. We fear getting sick. We fear missing the flight on our vacation. We fear you know, looking foolish in front of people. We fear losing a friend. We fear health problems. We fear problems developing in our marriage or with our children. Just the list just goes on and on, right? Lots of things that we fear. And yet, God says, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid, is what God says. Now why? What's wrong with fear? And we can see what's wrong with fear by asking this question. Why shouldn't Isaac be afraid? Why shouldn't he be afraid? It's because of the first promise God spoke to him in verse 3. Read it again. Verse 3, God says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you. That's why Isaac shouldn't be afraid. Because God promises to be with him. God promises, I will be with you. I will always be with you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. 
I will never leave you. I will never forget you. I will always be with you. If Isaac really believed this, then he wouldn't be afraid. Now, we can see that because of what we read 17 verses later. Look at verse 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. So why does Isaac not need to be afraid? It's because God promises to be with him. So the promise that God will be with us means that when we understand what that promise means, and when we trust what that promise means, we will be free from fear. That's what's being said here. Notice, fear not, for I am with you. So the way not to fear is by trusting God's promise that he will be with us. And that's taught throughout the Bible. I, just, I looked it up yesterday in my little computer Bible program. Deuteronomy 31.6, do not fear, why? For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Deuteronomy 31.8, he will be with you, do not fear. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Isaiah 43.25, same statement, fear not, for I am with you. Jeremiah 42.11, do not fear, for I am with you. Jeremiah 46.28, fear not, for I am with you. Do we get the picture? When we're understanding what it means that God is with us, and when we trust that promise, we will be freed from fear. That's what the scriptures teach. The way Isaac can be free from fear is by trusting that God is with him, and the way you and I can be free from fear is by trusting that God is with us. Okay, but how does God being with us free us from fear? How? What is it about God being with us that means that when we understand it and when we trust it, we'll be free from fear? Some people think that if God is with us, that means nothing bad will ever happen to us. And you can see why, if that was true, that would free you from fear, right? That's not what it means, though. I mean, as you read your Bible, you see that that's not what it means. I mean, think about it. A few chapters later in Genesis, Joseph is sold into slavery. Was God with Joseph when he was sold into slavery? Yes, he was. Jeremiah, the prophet, people didn't like his preaching. They lured him down into this cistern, this well with mud at the bottom. He sank down into mud up to his armpits. You could barely see the light up there. They put him down there to starve to death. Was God with him when the people lured him into that cistern? Absolutely God was with him. Right there with him. Was God with Job when he lost his children and when he was covered with boils? Yes. I will never leave you, Job. I will never forsake you. God was with him. Was God with John the Baptist when Herod killed him? Was God with Stephen when he was stoned to death? Was God with Paul when he was beaten and thrown into prison? Yes, 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 yes. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never forget you. I will never abandon you. I will be with you. But God being with us does not mean we will never experience suffering or trials. It's not what it means. And yet God says to Isaac, don't be afraid because I'm 
with you. So what does that mean? How does this promise free us from fear? How does it work? Here's how it works. And I'm going to use an illustration I've used before. And I thought about whether I should use this again. And, and here's why I'm going to use this again. One is because I just love this illustration. <laughs> I, I found it so, it is, it's changed my heart and life so profoundly. And some of you have never heard this illustration, so I hope it'll be helpful for you. Others of you had, and I, I want to remind you again, okay? I want, I want you to hear it again. But so here's the picture. It's like we are all created by God to be hungry, to have heart hunger for joy, for pleasure, for meaning, for significance. We all have heart hunger for joy, pleasure, meaning. And we all have things in our lives that we rely on to give us joy and meaning and pleasure. So this little piece of, of bread maybe is your job, okay? And, and here's your, your health. You want to you live, keep living. And maybe here's a friend that you have that's just super encouraging. And maybe, I don't know what this is. You can custom make that one for yourself. Okay, so, so here we are, and we all have things in our lives that we are relying on to satisfy us, to fill us, to give us pleasure, to give us meaning, all of us. Now, what is fear? Fear is when you're hungry for joy and pleasure, and one of the things you're relying on for joy or pleasure is threatened. One of these things might be taken away. So like for Isaac, it's like, I just want to be alive, and this, these men might kill me, okay? So my life might be lost. He's, he's trusting in living for joy, for pleasure. That might be lost, so he's afraid. Makes sense, right? You, you might have heard about maybe job redundancies or downsizing coming up, and you're relying on your job in many ways for security, for pleasure, for joy, and that threat coming to your job because you're relying on it, that fills you with fear, right? I mean, I'm sure some of you are fearful about that right now. Maybe, maybe you've, you've felt this strange pain here, and you're just thinking, I wonder if I have some serious illness, and so you start to fear being seriously sick and, and dying possibly. That's what fear is. Every time we're afraid, it's because there's something that we are relying on for our joy that is being threatened. Every time. Just think about it. Every time we are fearful, that's what's going on. And God says we should not be afraid because he is with us. So what is God being with us have to do with something that I'm relying on to satisfy my joy, my hunger for joy? How does God being with me take care of that? Here's how. It's because God is so glorious. His love is so real. His beauty is so satisfying. His presence is so fulfilling that when we have God with us, we will have times where our desire for joy and pleasure is completely satisfied in Him, regardless of what's happening here. God, remember Psalm 1611, in your presence, David says, is fullness, fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Well, if, if my heart hunger for joy has fullness of joy forever, then I can be content and satisfied 
regardless of what's happening here in these circumstances of my life. So whether I lose my job or, lose my job or not, I've got fullness of joy forever. Do you see how that works? Now let, let me illustrate it like this. John chapter 6, verse 35. Here's what Jesus says. Such an important promise. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. Shocking promise. We all have heart hungers. We're ravenous for joy, for peace, for meaning. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Jesus Christ will completely satisfy all your heart hungers for joy, meaning, pleasure, significance. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So we've been relying on these these other things here for our heart hungers to be satisfied, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life, which means something like this. So he is the bread of life. Okay? For those of you in the back, this is a big old stack of bread, all right? He says, I'm the bread of life. And what he means by that is that when we come to him, he is ours because he died to pay for our sins. He is ours because we're trusting him to forgive us, to change us, and to satisfy us. That means we have him now as our all-satisfying joy. We can know God through the person of Jesus. And when we Come to Jesus Christ. When you maybe sit down at your kitchen table and you open up your Bible and you seek his face and you pray and you open up the scriptures and you study who he is and you meditate on who he is and you pray over the truth of who he is, God will give you times where your heart is overflowing with joy in his presence, where you will see his beauty so clearly, you will experience his love so powerfully, you will behold his majesty so blazingly that your heart will overflow with joy, and and you'll be like David who says, whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I am full. I have all I need in you, all my hungers for joy And peace and meaning or pleasure are found in beholding you. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. John chapter 6, verse 35. Here's the question. If you're hungry for joy and peace and meaning, and you have all of this before you. Okay, so you're hungry and you have all this before you. How much are you going to fear losing some of these? Do you feel that? Maybe not enough yet. Okay. Okay, let me... Okay. If you have all of this, you're hungry, you're hungry for joy, peace, meaning, and you have all of this before you, how much are you going to fear losing this? Right? You see how that works? That's God's promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never forget you. I will always be with you. Our God, through Jesus, the bread of life, our all-satisfying treasure. That's why we don't need to fear. When we have 
him, the bread of life, we don't need to fear losing this. But there's more. God also promises us. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Here's what this means. And, and I don't want to make light of suffering. I mean, some of you might be very sick, maybe with life-threatening diseases, and that's, that's heartbreaking. That's, that's a, a battle, and our hearts go out to you. Others of you maybe have just lost your job this past week, and we want to stand around you. So I don't want to make light of this suffering. The point isn't that these aren't that important. The point is that Jesus promises to be everything to us. That's the point. But I don't want to make light. Believers weep with suffering. You may have a friend who's, who's been close to you, who's been such an encouragement to you, and they may end up going back to their home country, and, and you will sorrow, and that'll be right that you sorrow. But see, here's what God promises, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Let's read it again. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What God promises is that if in his wisdom and his love he chooses to take something you've relied on for your joy and meaning and peace, that's painful, but he only does that because he's promising to bring you even more as a result. This momentary light affliction of this going away is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And it's not just in eternity that we experience more of this joy. It's now, remember what Paul said about his thorn in the flesh. He said, so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, of my losses. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that, because then, more of the, of the power of Christ is going to rest upon me. So I, I boast in losses come, more is coming. God promises more. So this is how the promise that God will be with us frees us from fear. That's why we should never fear. It's because we have Jesus as our bread of life who will satisfy all our heart hungers and because when God does allow us to go through trials, it's only because he's going to give us even more joy in Christ. So the net result of that trial is going to be greater joy, not less, because that's what God promises to do for us in Christ. I hope that helps. Now, if that's true, then why are we afraid? Why do we fear? Why have I been afraid this last week? Why have you been afraid this last week? Maybe you've feared, like I said, that you might get seriously sick or might get laid off or, again, to have, have a close friend go back to their home country. Why? That is, why, why would I fear losing this little piece of bread why would I be all focused on this? I might lose this, this might be gone when I have all of this. Why? It's because when I'm fearing, I am, I am not seeing this. It's because when I'm, when I'm fearing, I am spiritually blind to this. It's, it, this might as well be over here somewhere, right? When, when I'm afraid, when I'm thinking about I'm, this might be gone and I'm going to be fearful, and I don't want to make light of this. These are heartbreaking things. But when that's happening, in truth, friends, it's because we are blind to all that we have in Christ. Our sin 
and our unbelief are blinding us to Jesus. Isn't it true? When you're afraid of something, you are not thinking about Jesus as your bread of life at that time, right? You're not, you're not thinking about him. You're a practical atheist at that moment. I am, you are, we are. It's got to be real here. This is what it is. This is why we, we fear. That's what happened to Isaac. Isaac had forgotten God's promise. I will be with you. I, in whose presence is fullness of joy forever. If you die, you're going to be with me. I'll be, I will be with you. That's what the promise means. And that's what happens to us. So then the question is, how do we overcome fear? What do we do to overcome fear? There's lots of different ways people come up with to overcome fear. Some, some Christians think they should try to overcome fear by telling themselves, nothing bad's going to happen. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Because they think it's what the Bible teaches, that if you just believe hard enough, nothing bad will happen. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's a heartbreaking, wrong teaching. Because if you believe that and then hard things happen, you have to think it's because I wasn't believing hard enough. And then you, you have double trial, right? The trial and discouragement that you weren't believing hard enough. Faith is important. We can pray for God to remove trials, and often he will, but not always. Sometimes in his love and his wisdom, he allows them to stay because, why? More. Okay, that's why. All right, so how do we overcome fear? Not by telling ourselves it won't happen. Not by... I just need to stop fearing so much. I've just got to, I've got to stop being afraid. That doesn't work. Have you ever tried that? And both of those approaches, telling yourself it won't happen or just trying hard not to feel fear, both of those miss the problem, which is that the moment I'm fearing, I'm blind spiritually to who Jesus is. That's what we've got to deal with. So how do we overcome the blindness? Let me give you three steps. First, confess Confess that your sin and unbelief are blinding you to who Jesus is. That's what's going on. It happens to every believer from time to time, right? I've experienced it this past week, and I would guess you have too. It's fairly common, but here's the good news. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness from sin's guilt and cleansing from sin's power. Forgiveness and cleansing. So confess your sin of unbelief, the, the blindness that's in your heart. Say, Father, forgive me. I'm not seeing you right now. I'm not seeing your holy son, Jesus, right now. All I can think about is I might lose my job or this friend might go or I might have health problems. All I can think about is I may, may never get married or whatever it might be. That's all I can think about right now. Help me, Father. Forgive me. I'm blind to you. Confess. Second, pray. Ask for his help. Ask him. Set me free from my blindness. Because we can't do that ourselves, but he can and he loves to do it. And he will do it every time we ask him. Every time we ask him, his answer to that will be yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Mark chapter 9, verse 24 is a good verse to pray. I believe, help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith, 
Help me to trust you. Open my eyes. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Help me to see Jesus in all of his glory and majesty. So we pray. So first we, what do we do first? Confess. Second, we pray. And then third, meditate on God's word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is so important. Grace Church, we need to be strong in faith. We're living in a dark land. We need to be strong in faith. I hope each of you are taking time every day where you're opening up the Bible and reading. One reason is because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes, you will emerge from that time reading God's Word with stronger faith than when you started. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we open up God's word. It's through the word that God reveals his glory to us. So you might want to take a verse like Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Here's one that's been very powerful for me lately. That Jesus loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Short little Powerful, powerful verse. And you might read over that verse and pray over that verse. Father, help me see that Jesus loves me. Help me to understand more that while I was his enemy, he loved me. He came to the earth to save me. Help me to see that. Help me to Behold the beautiful love of Jesus Christ more that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who's always been from eternity past, who with the Father and the Spirit are sovereign over everything, that Jesus Christ loves me. He loves you. God, show me that. Help me to see it. Help me to feel it. Jesus loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, his shed blood. It's talking about the cross. So just... Lord, help me to see the cross. Help me to see Jesus' love expressed on the cross. Help me to see how he was willing to suffer. Again, while I was still his enemy, he died on the cross for me. Help me see the compassion of Jesus for me, the love of Jesus for me, the affection of Jesus for me, the mercy, the loving kindness, the steadfast love of Jesus for me. Help me see that he freed us from our sins by his blood. Help me to see more clearly, I'm freed through faith alone. I'm freed from my sins. All of my guilt is gone because of his death. And the power of sin is being progressively broken. It's going every day. It's being broken. And the day's going to come when I'm going to be totally free from sin. So Jesus loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And as you pray over a verse like that, Meditate on it, ponder it, see the truth of it. The Holy Spirit will start to help you feel the truth of it. And you've been here and you're just all preoccupied with this and suddenly you'll start to once again see and feel and then you'll be able to taste, okay? Mm. Oh, okay, all right. And when you taste again and you see all that you have in Christ... You won't fear. Because remember, if God chooses to take one of these, why is he doing that? Give you even more, okay? Just keeps coming. Just keeps coming. That's what I would encourage you to do. 
Confess, pray, and meditate. Press in, seek his face. God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Don't settle for just a life in, in neutral where you, you're believing the right things, you're trying to do the right things, but your heart is just ah, flat line. Don't, don't let that happen. Press in, press in. God has more. We don't live on the basis of our feelings, but we don't ever settle for no feelings. We're, we're either experiencing or we're pressing in. Okay, keep pressing in. Now, one last question. That's how Isaac should overcome his fear. That's how we can overcome our fear. But to encourage us with this, Moses gives us a beautiful display now of God's love and mercy in verses 8 through 11. <laughs> Remember, Isaac has just sinned grievously. I mean, he was willing to let go of his wife to save his own skin. This is horrifying on the human level. But he, dis he dishonored God. I mean, here he's just totally turning his back on God and his promises. He thinks he has to take care of of what we see here. Look at verse 8. When he, Isaac, had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Now, there's ways that a brother and sister might laugh together, and then there's ways that a husband and wife laugh together. And Abimelech saw Isaac and Rebekah laughing together, and he says, that's his wife. That's his wife. So verse 9 so Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people. Imagine, here's the king making this edict throughout all the land. Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Total protection upon Rebekah and Isaac. Do you see the mercy of God here? Even though Isaac had sinned, lied, God was caring for him. God had compassion for him. God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. My father likes to say that, that God's mercy is like a hair trigger on a gun. Just the slightest help and an explosion of love and mercy comes to us. God's mercy is like a hair trigger. God's wrath is like a slow-burning fuse. Slow, 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 slow. See? God's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And mercy, and we see that here. God was slow to anger with Isaac. And here's what I want to encourage you with. When you are full of fear, the reason is because you're blind. Your sin and unbelief are blinding you to Jesus. It's sin. Fear is sin. You're sinning. But you can come to God just as you are, with your fearful heart. And you say, Father, look at this heart. I'm, I'm so afraid now of having this happen or having that happen. I'm just I'm full of fear. And Lord, it's, it's unbelief. It's sin. See, you can come to God with your fear. And when you're coming confessing and when you're coming asking for help, he is running towards you with everything you need. Don't think you have to change your heart before you can come to God. You'll only 
change your heart by coming to God. You can't change your heart without coming to God. And when you're full of fear, God says, come just as you are. The cross paid for that sin. You come. You come. I will wash you clean. I will set you free. I will help you. I will free you from fear. So when you are in fear, turn to Jesus. Turn to God through Jesus. Confess. Pray. Ask for help. And meditate on God's word. And the Holy Spirit will come and change your heart. Free you from fear. Fill you with peace. Not because you're sure this won't happen, but because you're sure you have Jesus, the bread of life. Now here's two takeaways. First of all, I would guess some of you here this morning are not yet trusting Jesus Christ. You're you're interested. I hope that's why you're here. You you want to learn more about what it would mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've not yet turned from your sin, turned from whatever else you were trusting to satisfy you and put your trust in Jesus to forgive you, change you, and satisfy you. And, And I'm hoping that as you've seen this description of who Jesus is, as you've seen how merciful and gracious God promises to be to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross, as you see that you can have all your sins forgiven, past, present, and future, you can have Jesus' power changing your heart whenever you sin, you can have him filling you with the the joy and the satisfaction you're longing for. I hope that this morning you say, "I, I want, I want this, I want Jesus. I want Jesus to be bread of life to me. And I hope that you'll pray this morning and put your trust in him. That's one takeaway. Second one, some of you are are, are battling fear right now. And I'm with you, It's, 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 it's a battle. But I want to encourage you, turn to Jesus Christ just as you are. Maybe come forward and have somebody pray for you this morning. We'd love to join with you to pray. Or take some time this afternoon, confess, ask, meditate, press in. You will experience the Holy Spirit helping you see who Jesus is more clearly and helping you feel who Jesus is more powerfully and fear will leave and peace will come. And we all need this. So let's all work on this together. But especially those of you who are battling fear right now, don't dawdle, don't delay, press in now. He'll meet you. Let's pray together. We praise you, Father, for your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. That Jesus is the bread of life and that when we come to him, we will not hunger. When we believe in him, we will never thirst. I pray that right now you would save people who've never tasted the bread of life of knowing Jesus. Save people right now that they would repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ right now. Lord, those of us who are battling fear, meet them, help them, encourage them, draw them to yourself. Let them see that your arms are open wide to help them and that you will meet them in their time of need. So come and do a mighty work, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.